And welcome to Women Leading in Cannabis. I'm your host, Kira Reed. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today is Mary Pryor, startup advisor and co-founder in cannabis tech and wellness. Welcome, Mary. Hi, how are you? I'm good, and I'm really happy to talk with you today. Mary is the co-founder of Canaclusive, a company created to facilitate fair representation of minority cannabis consumers and inspired by the growing opportunities, yet disappointed by the diversity issues taking root in mainstream cannabis culture. She is also the co-founder of Fit For Us, a consulting firm that advocates for black fitness professionals and helps to create healthy and inclusive workplace environments within fitness. She is the CMO for Tonic CBD and is a committee member of of the National Cannabis Industry Association. I really appreciate you coming to talk to me today, Mary. Thank you. I appreciate you too. And I'm glad that you like uh, invited me to speak. I know this has been a continued series for a little bit. So I kind of feel like I um, I like got selected like one of the people that wins like uh, America's Got Talent. Thanks. Ah, that's awesome. Well, thank you. I, I'm really, really appreciate it. And, and you were at the top of my list because obviously we're living in a very intense climate right now and what you're doing what a time in the time to be alive right what a time oh. <laughs> and you're stepping up and you're taking the lead in a community and I really want to find out more about what that means to you and how you're leading through all of this chaos um, but first I want to ask you you're a part of multiple industries you're in tech and marketing and event production what led you to bring your your talents to cannabis uh, I come from the advertising tech and media space really and I kind of like became a part of the cannabis industry just kind of out of a necessity for my health um I got diagnosed with Crohn's back in February 2013 I was always like a regular recreational user of cannabis just like because I went to Catholic school you know that's kind of where it all starts (laughs) for me like without being able to use a plant, I wouldn't be able to function because of the pain. And a lot of the, well, issues that are kind of like resolved in terms of healing and in terms of just like pain relief and inflammation relief that um, utilizing certain cultivar and just utilizing different uh, molecules within the CBD area of the plant actually provides. So for myself, I was really you know, driven to talking about this more so in a way where people need to know not only more about it as a form of medicine, but then I realized that as a woman, and even more importantly, as a black woman, the representation in this industry is abysmally, ridiculously insulting. Um, And so when you come from tech, when you come from 
advertising and you come from spaces where you're always like literally asking where are all the black people um i find myself in a position where yes i do care about my health yes i do care about talking about the plant yes i do care about um all the things surrounding trying to see the industry grow but making sure that equity is front facing and is first is a big part of what needs to happen in the space for people that look like me and for people that care about black lives. So what, what then led you to creating Canoclusive? Uh, two additional friends of mine, a co-founder of Shirley's Antoinette and Tiny Repley Flash. We all saw the same thing in the industry. Very, very uh, white male leaning, very, very whitewashed. We dealt with a lot of aggressions going to a lot of microaggressions going to events. Um, Wait, wait, wait. Can you can you back that up? I, I, did you say you experienced microaggression going to cannabis events? Yes. Tell me about that. So we would get asked, how did we find out about it? Um, how do we how did we know about this event? How do we know about cannabis? Oh, we're probably just enthusiasts. Oh, what do you know about smoking? Um, we would be like maybe like one out of four black people at like an event. I remember particularly we went to an event in the Emerald Triangle back in 2017. We were five black women, I think, within a radius of everyone at this event. And literally the only other black people that we saw were two additional black men that were growers that gave us a whole bunch of like really nice free stuff. But they were like, you're the first, uh, you're the first black people we've seen at an event like this ever um and we experienced you know companies that were not really even willing to like answer our questions about different products and they were just kind of like ignoring us if we were at their tables it was ridiculous i'm i'm so sorry that you experienced that that that's just not the cannabis industry that i i i, I want to be a part of yeah i mean it was it's interesting you know we like there are people that we reached out to early on to connect with and they never emailed us back, but now they email us now. It's so, it's a, it's a little bit of a, a mind fuck, you know, so, <laughs> um, you know, we, we know what, we know what it feels like to be made to feel alienated, but also the cannabis plant comes from African seeds, indigenous seeds and Asian like, horticulture and seeds so like you know in new york or in detroit or in atlanta or in dc or in philly we're surrounded by black people um latinx like people that consume in la we would go to do an event and we would be like uh what's going on here and even with the experience that we had collectively which together about 30 years of marketing amongst the three of us we wouldn't be able to get jobs or get contracts. They would always, literally, people would ask, what do you know about cannabis? Like, how do you know anything about the plant? Like, we would be like, what? It was just really um, discouraging. It's actually, there are several brands that are very popular right now that are now, like, coming back around, reaching out to us. And I have to remind them, like, oh, yeah, I met you at this event. And when I emailed you, you never got back to me. And they were like, I was like, yeah, like it's very, it's very, very interesting. And it's hard when that happens, isn't it? To, to then be 
gracious and accepting when you you know this is kind of couched in something because I have a history with you and you weren't so open before, but now you see that I, you can leverage me. Now you want to show up on my door again. And it's, you know, from a, the perspective of dealing with women and have, leading a women's community, I experienced that as well. And it's always a little bit of a burn in my gut because I, you know, I really want to say F off. It has to be, you know, because like as a woman, like, I'm, I'm going to try to remove race from the statement that I'm saying here, but it's very omnipresent. But, you know, women get treated like sexual objects and we get treated like, you know, the administrative assistant to the industry. And that's ridiculous, <laughs> you know? Um, and I, I think that there's also, when you add race into it, when it comes to white women and understanding or now having a desire to call themselves in to be more accountable with um, what's happening or standing up for black and brown people. There's a lot of that fragility that shows up that's connected to privilege and whiteness. There's a lot of that um, misunderstanding or not really understanding the actions or the, the energy that you give off in terms of like relating to others that's there. But well, I wanted, I actually want to dig into that. That was, that was going to be a question that I have here for you. So I did an interview with Whitney Beatty about the issue of racism between black and white women and the deep, dark history that exists that we often don't acknowledge in all of the things that we acknowledge in our history. We don't really bring to light the issue between black and white women and how those threads from the past are present today. And it was a really revealing conversation. And I'm, I'm curious how you see that playing out in the cannabis industry between black and white women. Whew. <laughs> um, let me try to find a good way to say this. You know, white fragility is a motherfucker. I, th I think that if people can't recognize that and want to do something about it for themselves, instead of making it a black person's job, it's going to be hard to tackle the realities of what that shows up as. And, and also the idea of, well, whiteness in general, there's a head start that white people have in terms of equity and equality. And there's a head start that white women have for that as well, because a lot of the women that are seen as our bastions of promoting change for women and voting rights didn't even want black women to be part of that conversation. Mm -hmm. So there, there's a lot of deep rooted intricacies that are part of all of this that manifest in, in the work and in, in all industries, you know, in the forms of what we need to do to be better. I, I think that people have to admit that what they have been taught about race and what they have been taught about how this world works is wrong because now we're in a society where it's more obvious that racism drives a lot of decision-making. It's more obvious that there are people in this country that want to see racism drive more um, division and issues. So, you know, if we're not willing to each take a step within ourselves, and this is more so for people that are um, non-melanated to figure out how they're showing up, we're in trouble. Because we're looking at a, an election year that no matter how this goes, we still have omnipresent issues that showcase that there is a percentage of people within the United States and across the world 
that do not want to see racial unity occur in any way, shape or form. So I have two questions for you on that. One is when it comes specifically to women, are there ways that white women interact with black women that they are, that they're not aware of that they need to be, that you're seeing come up in the cannabis industry in particular and how white and black women interact. And then the second question is, how do we move towards unity and how are you leading your community towards unity in that way? I'm going to start with the first question. So the biggest thing to think about is when we call, when we, what, what we call white tears or using white fragility as an innocence play when it comes to being called out or addressed for doing something that's wrong or harmful, um, you know, the idea of white women using their femininity as a weapon comes up in a couple of really, really major instances. The murder of Emmett Till, which was a lie that a white woman used to unfortunately um, cause the lynching and the beating of a 13-year-old boy in the South. Um, and then we also have the idea or the the really, really, really confusing idea that, you know, white women are seen as more um, safe and need to be protected more so than black women, right? So we have a constant conversation where there are missing black girls, missing black girls that are being forced into sex work, um, black women that are killed by the police, and just overall lack of protection and support for black women due to the tropes of several things. One, the false idea that black and white people are designed genetically different, which is furthered by Darwinism, which is the idea that black people can take more pain, which is false, which is racist, and that black people um, aren't smart and have smaller brains, which is a Darwinism thing, which is not true and racist. Um, and so there's the idea of control that whiteness likes to put over black and brown bodies, especially over women. Um, and there's also the idea of servitude. Um, slavery happened. Slavery is still happening in a lot of different ways. But the idea that black people, especially black women, are here to serve white women or to serve white men can show up in workplaces. It can show up in hiring. It can show up in who gets promoted. You know, the idea of someone being black and being a leader is deeply rooted in a lot of really racist propaganda, thanks to mostly white men. So that's the answer to your first question. I know that's a very, very like deep answer, but it's a very real answer too. I, that's exactly why I wanted you to come on because I want those answers. So thank you for being yeah. honest. Yeah. I mean, a lot, I mean, a lot of what we to are told about cannabis is a lie, right? Let's, let's, let's be honest about that. We've been told that it's reefer. It's going to have us having wild sex with the, with trees and dogs and shit. It's going <laughs> to, you know, we're going to, it's going to, we're going to lose our minds and running naked in the streets. None of that has happened. So you have your mom and my grandmother or your dad or your uncle or, or your, you know, your church going, whoever that thinks that you're selling the devil's lettuce or you're part of the devil's lettuce industry. And that's not the case. So imagine, you know, all the unlearning you have to give your grandmother, or your mom or your dad or whoever 
because they've been told that this is a drug for almost 100 years. Now, just compound that, or actually imagine 500 years of racist rhetoric and slavery existing and trying to un- unmold that from someone's idea of how they engage with black and brown people. It's a lot of work. Right? A lot of work. So if you think cannabis is a lot of work, let me show you how much work it is to tell someone that's a white woman, your fragility is showing up and then they don't get it. And then they accuse you of attacking them. And you're like, no, I simply told you that what you said was ignorant. I simply told you not to touch my hair. And now you're crying because I told you I don't like it. What? <laughs> right. So yeah, yeah, There's a lot to be said for how we have to own where we are versus somebody else too. So it puts you in a, in a, in a position where as the, the victim of these microaggressions and attitudes your entire life, you're also now tasked with being the person who has to lead the unity, who has to um, accommodate the needs and emotions of people who don't understand and who are who do have white fragility. And, right. and on top of that, you're also a woman and your job is to deal with the emotional needs of other people. That's how we're raised as women. So also, catch this. It's not anyone who is melanated or part of the African diaspora. It's really not our job to lead unity because we can't. All the power, the laws, the policies, the oppression comes from white people. So, right, but I will challenge you that it, I think the best leaders that we have in this country are black women. That's a lot of work that we have to do for some, for, for, for I, I agree, but I, I think black women have started Black Lives Matter, Me Too, they led feminism. We are now going to have a VP in office, who is a black woman, Stacey Abrams is, she's one of the most incredible leaders we have right now for voting rights. And I look at the world today and it is black women who are leading our country and leading social movements that are the only thing that are breaking through to make change. And that's what I mean when I say like, you've got, even though it's not technically your job, you're you're not the one who should be having to face this unity. Oh, no, not at all. It's definitely not our job, 100%. But, I mean, like, while we have all that going on, the murders and raping and sex trafficking of black girls never get, doesn't get discussed. Breonna Taylor still may not see justice. Um, Sandra Bland still won't see justice. And every day, the three black women who started Black Lives Matter, who happen to be colleagues of mine, are attacked by the far right, by QAnon and all these things for just existing, right? By in order white people. So at the same time, like the work that needs to be done, the district court judges that are now in place that were put in by the Supreme Court, which are a term that served as, you know, far right leaning people are the ones that decide the cases for how these things roll out in different states and different municipalities, right? These district court judges, these municipal municipal courts, all of these items are pretty stacked with far right-leaning people who are going to judge cases 
in a way that is going to have a degree of bias. You have a Supreme Court to where if we, please don't go anywhere, RBG, hold out. If RBG decides to go to the pearly gates, we're going to have a stacked Supreme Court. So, you know, we, we have to also be mindful that while we are showing what unity can look like, people still don't want to listen to Black women. People still are threatened by Black women, right? Um, I've had instances where I've been I've been called the N word by white women for simply like doing things like going to the elevator first, picking up a purse before someone else, getting olives at Whole Foods. Like there's a whole situation when 2013 I was at Whole Foods, I got the last batch of olives at the olive bar. And a white woman with her baby was like, oh, you niggers take everything loud as hell in the middle of a Whole Foods. Whole Foods for the whole year paid for my groceries. Wow. Okay. They were embarrassed. It was written about. The manager reached out to me. It was a thing. So no matter what, no matter how bold and amazing I am, I am reminded in different ways every day, even today when I went to go get my car fixed, that because I'm black, you're not going to take me seriously. I told someone, hey, my signal light is not working. I need to see if there's a different filament for my light. This guy looked at me like I was stupid and said, you don't know what you're talking about. Come to find out, I knew exactly what I was talking about. So I don't know if he was just sexist and being a guy. I don't know what it was, but... I'm served different reminders, whether it's through another person being shot and me having to see it on social media or another exchange from um, a company reaching out to me, asking me to be a part of something and be willing to A, not pay me or B, not for not remember how they disrespected me when I went to an event to ask questions about their product and they ignored me. There's a lot of different things that we're reminded of as black women to show that while we have power, we're still shown that we're not. I mean, Serena Williams almost died having a baby and her doctors were white. So, you know, we don't get taken seriously in the hospital system. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a double-edged situation. And we need white people to call themselves in to fighting for unity and to fighting for change in these policies. It, and, and, and I've seen too many examples of that being the, the case for change to happen um, because we're all looking at a very weird future, even as so the Supreme Court is toying around with getting rid of Roe versus Wade. Like, there's a lot everybody needs to be kind of unifying on and calling themselves into right now. So how does this impact the way that you lead? So I want, I want to go back to can occlusive. No I want to hear a little bit more about what your mission is, what the company structure is, you know, how you operate and what your goals are. And then I want to find out how you lead, what inspires your leadership? Because I know that a lot of the people you work with are volunteers. And when you face so much from the outside world that's just pushed onto you to deal with just in your daily life, and you add the summer of 2020 on top of it, 
How do you keep people motivated in this mission? Well, we started this amazing organization with over 30 different uh, businesses and, um, organiz- and media platforms in cannabis and hemp called Cannabis for Black Lives. I pretty much called a meeting together, uh, I want to say around May, June of everyone who has been doing this work without having to be told to do it that was either, you know, white or, or Latino or Latina or, or Indian or Pakistani. And what we ended up coming together with was forming an organization that is poised and wants to talk about different ways that um, we need to fund, um, provide jobs and provide equity, awareness, support and amplification for black lives in this industry. Uh, we just had our first team uh, board meeting on Monday and we raised $35,000 for Supernova Women um, in one day. Right on. Yeah, and so we're we have different organizations in the pipeline. Our board has been finalized. Um, we're now designing a new way to do mentorship and things of that nature as well. So that's that that came out of people being willing to call themselves into making a change, and it's great because you know at least twelve of those companies are people that I've known in the industry that know that like we've been preaching about the need to have access, equity, advocate, advocacy, promoting, and space in this industry for black and brown people. So the fact that like this is a, a, a an actual unified effort that involves black, white, Asian, Indian, um, Latina, Latinx, like it's it's we have so many people that have come together, um, even within LGBTQIA communities, like this is a living, breathing thing, right? So, you know, with that, that also came about around the time when we launched the accountability list, which is where we list and are developing and still adding on list of organizations and businesses that need to share their, you know, how, how their diversity is looking within their, uh, their companies whether it's uh, a matter of how many actual diverse hires they have, what they actually have done beyond a black square um, in the middle of June to support black and brown lives. We created that and that is still being added on. And we also have partnered with Rachel Kolick from Block um, and Camille from Loom in Canada. And now we're adding Canadian companies. So, you know, these are, those are definitely white women that agree that something needs to change and they came to us. So this is an opportunity where, you know, everyone can do something. We're glad that people know that we have a couple of solutions that we can try to make things work with. But, you know, like this current group of over 30 is now evolving into 50. You know, like we we, we want people to get on one accord. I mean, we have a lot of diversity and inclusion trainings happening with various groups. I mean, even MedMen is someone we're starting to work with, right? So there's no one here has a perfect track record, but we need to get on a track. And that's that's the main goal right now because 
after this election, who knows how this is going to look. Mm-hmm. And, and unfortunately, I'm, I'm very concerned that as much as I want to see uh, Kamala as VP, I really feel like with the voter fraud that's going on and the Postal Service thing that we're looking at a couple of unknown potential scenarios that suck, you know? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. And uh, it's one of the reasons why I'm working at the polls and we'll be spending the lead up to November 3rd, uh, dedicated to getting the vote out. Yeah, actually, I started a morning show during COVID. I also started two other nonprofits during COVID. But I started a morning show and I was showing uh, the Joe Biden ad. And I was like, oh, okay, this is, you know, wearing a mask. This is, this is official. This is showing what our world is looking like right now. But I'm on the same boat. You know, I'm kind of like, look, Get this Klansman out of office, everybody. That's literally what I say every time I start my morning show is, all right, here's a moment of gratitude. I'm so glad that we can meditate. I'm so happy that we can share our time with each other. Please get this Klansman out of office. So So how do you keep your volunteers who are helping you build Canaclusive, how do you keep them motivated with all of this intensity around them? I pay them money out of the pocket that I have. Um, And a lot of our consultancies, we do get paid and we pay people. And then I also teach them how to create their own mini mogul industries. Like a lot of the people that have volunteered with us have their own platforms and their own place in the industry. And it's like working out for them. Um, I mean, there's even people that I've helped get them jobs. I'm like, hey, get you, here's a job, take this job. They're like, really my guests. You know, so um, if I don't have the ability to give you a $60,000 salary, I will find a way to make it worth your while. And that's why I've been able to even have, I have old interns from when I used to work at MTV that still do things for me because I always find them opportunities. It's crazy. (laughs) I'm I'm consistent. You can ask anyone who's ever been an intern with me, whether it's been in fashion, whether it's been in TV whether it's been in advertising, anyone that I've been a mentor or um, have had as an an employee underneath me, I've helped them get their next opportunity. And no matter what, I'm consistent as heck. It's a, it's a, it's a very, very, it's a good sign of karmic luck to say the least. That's a great leadership style. Who, what, what women have inspired you as a leader? Who do you look to for either mentorship or inspiration that is a leader in the world? I have five women. Catherine Finney, Tina Ferris, my grandmother who's no longer with us, but I am able to communicate with her almost every day. Um, Bozoma St. John, and another woman who I think is amazing, which is very, um, you know, not the traditional, well, actually it is, everybody loves this woman, Michelle Obama. Those are my, those are my, that's my starting five. So Michelle and your grandma, those are totally understandable. Who are the other three women and what is it that they bring that, what is it that they show in their leadership that inspires you? Bazuma St. John is now the current chief marketing officer at Netflix, and she is a 
powerhouse. Uh, she just finished up her badass boot camp. Hopefully, I will do the second round of that. But she's just been a a mentor and someone who's I've just admired because she's a powerhouse. She worked for Endeavor. She worked for Apple. She worked for Uber. Um, Tina Ferris is a world-renowned tour manager. Um, her clients have included The Roots, Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, Anderson Pack, Nicki Minaj. Um, and I've known her ever since I was a teenager sneaking into the root shows. And Catherine Finney is a VC, a tech maven. Um, she's one of the first black women to have sold her company for over a million in evaluation. She is the former uh, CEO of Digital Undivided. She founded it and uh, she's also uh, bringing me on board to help advance the Dooney Fund, which is a fund that gives small, small loans to black women during uh, COVID. So we're getting uh, ready for our next raising round and we're about to start sharing out more money. So yeah. How can women find that? How can women who may need that right now find it? Oh, the Dooney Fund is out there. So the way you spell Dooney is D-O-O-N-I-E, fund, like, you know, a fund. And uh, you can look that up, you can apply, you can send in um, an application. And I mean, it's not a lot of money. It's literally like a hundred dollars, but we're trying to raise that to something a little bit more, but I mean, a hundred dollars during COVID is potentially a phone bill. Mm hundred -hmm. dollars during COVID is gas. How can we donate to it is just go to the website as well for donations. Oh yeah. All the way. You can go there. And then um, also another woman that I admire because her work ethic is something I did not know that was so like insane until most recently is Danielle Swash from Humble Bloom. Uh, we, along with two others, um, Carol and Russell Marks, um, Carol's a chef and Russell um, runs Lily CBD, started a food um, disparity addressing nonprofit called Breaking Bread. And Danielle is a go-getter and she does not play around and she's about it. And I did not know that until most recently. And I greatly appreciate that. Um, and so we're trying to find ways to address the need for people that are, you know, hungry in the city. And every day there's a food line in my neighborhood and in other neighborhoods that I go to. It's every day. Um, people like, like lines, not just like a line, like a line around the corner. Um, and so, you know, we're trying to keep raising funds around that because that's important. I mean, yeah. I haven't seen anything like this in my lifetime. I'm not old. I'm not young, but you know, I'm, I'm literally looking at a food line right now. So it's, this is it's it's this is not right. It shouldn't be like this. This this really really is unfair. So in the midst of you know caring about cannabis, I care about humanity. I, I care about what the next steps are for us as we try to navigate what's going to be a long road to economic recovery. And for people that think that we're just in a recession, I think we're in a depression. I think that you know we're looking at people that do not have a way to pay their rent at this point, given that there are jobs that just can't come back. And there are jobs that we may never see again as people evolve or pivot 
into new ways of doing work because they don't have the money to do it the old fashioned way. I feel like I went on a tangent, but I'll stop. Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. It's all, it's all good. I mean, you know, we're living in a time that is, it's, it's so difficult. It's so painful to get up every morning and go about your business and under the, the sky that looks like the apocalypse if you're on the West right. Coast. Like, how are right. you doing? Like, you're waking up and it's like, oh, the sky is mm-hmm. smoky orange. And this is not a Bob Ross painting. Mm-mm. Oh, like, yeah. that's, that's cool. Like, how are you supposed to, Cheney Turner, someone else who I also admire, said it best. How are you supposed to concentrate and the sky is orange? How? Mm-hmm. How? And and um, you can't even go outside without a mask because almost two hundred thousand people have died. I mean, you know, it's it's all happening, and it's happening in a pandemic, and it's happening in an experience where you know we've had enough, and we're 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 out there in the streets, and we're we're fighting for our rights. And you know, how do you get up and you know do marketing for a company that it, it just right, exactly. It, it's such a, it's just, and then as a, as a community leader, you're, you're also looked to for answers and guidance from the people in your community. So my next question for you is what, with all of these things that are going on in the world today, what is your vision for women of color who are working in cannabis? What are you working towards? I think that honestly has changed as an answer every week for me. Mm, I'm not surprised. So I'll say this. I just want people to be safe. A lot of my social media posts is me yelling at people to wear masks. If you ever follow me on Facebook, but right now I just want black women, um, to be safe. I want women of color to be safe. I want white women to be safe and not the Karens, the Karens, the Karens are a problem. But even them, like, I want someone, I want a white relative that knows a Karen, that has a Karen cousin or a Karen mom, to shake that Karen out of their mom and their cousin, to be like, you're tripping. Why are you doing this? You know, I, I, I feel like we have to be honest with each other because what, with whatever is coming um, in November, we're going to need each other. And we need to start acting like it. And November to me doesn't isn't just about the election. It's flu season. Who mm-hmm. knows what's gonna go down, right? So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm looking at this from a whole different perspective. I'm looking at it from the economics. I'm looking at it from flu season. For me, honestly, I didn't take the. Uh, the downward spiral of retail seriously until September 10th, 2020. And it's because Century 21, which is my favorite department store, is now bankrupt and shutting down no. and will no longer. I didn't take no. that. You know what Century 21 is? Oh, I lived in New York for seven years. Century 21 is, there's just nothing that exists like Century 21 outside of New York. Okay. I'm surprised you didn't know. I'm so sorry. But the point is that I didn't realize it didn't hit home until yesterday. Mm-hmm. And so last week, last week it would have been, and it still is, buy sustainable and organic. 
I love working at Tonic. I love Brittany Carbone. Our farm is amazing. Chuckle Farms is homegrown, handcrafted, organically grown stuff that is all supported by a woman, a woman-owned vertical, a family-owned vertical in upstate New York. We kick ass. She works really hard. Things are, things are happening, and we need to make sure that people support women-owned brands. This week, I need some people to be safe. Next week, I might be yelling about something else, but people need help. <laughs> People need help. So I, for me, like, I can only go based off of what I see every day. And right now what I see every day changes. So I don't have a, I don't have a unified message for the year. I, I don't know how anyone could, to be honest. It's it, every day something new happens. Every day another shoe drops. You know, a week ago, I wasn't living under an apocalyptic sky. It changes yeah. your perspective. Like last week, you could last week you could have said everybody should meditate. Today, you're like, bitch, the sky is orange. Like, how are you? <laughs> exactly. So, Mary, before we before we go, do you have any last words of advice for other women who are community leaders in these times? Um, mm, stay focused and be well. Actually, no. I'm changing my mind again. Be kind to yourself. Mm, that's great advice, especially right now. Be kind to yourself, ladies. Thank you so much, Mary, for your time and for sharing your journey with us today. It's been really an enlightening conversation, and I hope that the ladies who are tuning in have learned as much as I did. It's it's challenging to have these conversations, and I really appreciate you showing up with your vulnerability and your honesty, Mary, this is the only way we can create change is by coming together and having these uncomfortable conversations. So thank you so much for making it a really enlightening um, and raw conversation. That's why I had you on. Thank you. I appreciate you too. And thank you for your time. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, ladies, thank you so much for tuning in. If you have not yet joined the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, go to our website, womenempoweredincannabis.com, and find a group that's suitable for you, including the new Women of Color group that's going to be hosted by the lovely Miss Kindness. Mary is a member of Women Empowered in Cannabis, so if you want to reach out to her, you can find her there or at her website or through Canaclusive or through the Dooney Fund. Thank you so much, Mary. Mark your calendar as well, ladies, for September 30th, the Women in Plant Medicine Summit. It's a full day summit featuring women in prohibited plant medicines. Tracks include science and research, psychedelic studies, and self-care. Tickets start at $10, and you can RSVP at houseofjane.com. I sure hope to see you there. Tune in again next Tuesday for another interview with women who are leading in cannabis. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. 
And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canada podcasters right here on PodConnex and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.